Welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast, your monthly source for conversations and curated content to improve your law practice with your host, Rocky Deer. Hi, and welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast. So here's a bit of trivia. September is National Disaster Preparedness Month. Can you feel the irony? I mean, on the one hand, you want to go out and share that little tidbit of information at the next cocktail reception. But on the other hand, there won't be any cocktail receptions, at least not for a while and certainly not in person. What to do? What to do? Well, one thing you can do is check out the September 2020 issue of the Texas Bar Journal. In it, you will find, among other things, or inter alia, as we lawyers like to say, actually, why do we say stuff like that? That just sounds weird. Anyway, I digress. You will find an article titled, Building a Disaster Plan for Your Law Practice. No, the title doesn't invoke non-paying clients, although it might be understandable why some of us might think it does. The title and the article refer to the natural kind of disaster. Think hurricanes, tornadoes, viruses, anyone? It's a timely topic and an especially well-timed article. They say you should fight fire with fire, so when it comes to natural responses and natural disaster responses, we fight nature's forces with another force of nature. One of those forces of nature is Hannah Dial. She authored the TBJ article and ever since graduating UT Law in 2017 has dedicated her career to serving the indigent and, yes, helping people through natural disasters. Hannah is an attorney with Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid, a nonprofit that serves indigent residents of Southwest Texas, and she's also a Disaster Resilience Fellow with Equal Justice Works. This is actually her second Equal Justice Works Fellowship. And Hannah never actually chilled out in law school. Case in point, she was a team member on the ABA Young Lawyer Division's Disaster Legal Services Program. She has helped clients respond to Hurricane Harvey and Corpus Christi and to a number of floods in the Rio Grande Valley. On top of all that, she clearly rocks at adulting. Hannah is a real-life superhero, and she was kind enough to take a few moments out to sit and talk with us. Hannah, welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, so look, we have Batman Begins. We have Wonder Woman, Man of Steel. The list goes on. So what's your origin story? How did you get into the field of disaster relief? So I graduated from law school in 2017, and Hurricane Harvey hit the Corpus Christi area that same year. So I That's took right. the bar in July. And Harvey hit in August. So I was kind of looking for a job. And these cases were coming in from people in my state whose whole lives had been upended by Harvey. Their homes were gone. Some of their life savings were wiped out trying to recover. And so I just kind of jumped in. And then once I got there, I really started to appreciate disaster recovery work. Um, it's very varied. You kind of you never end up doing the same thing one day to the next. And so that has been very interesting for me. Now, when there's not a disaster, do you, are you just kind of bored? Or what do you do when there's, when there's no disaster going on? So not really, because there's always preparation for the disaster. And honestly, we're still in long-term recovery for Hurricane Harvey down in the coastal Bend region. So, um, and then uh, due to climate change, there really hasn't been a time period where there hasn't been a disaster. I mean, we are currently responding to Hurricane Hannah that just hit the valley a couple weeks ago. Right. And then um, COVID is kind of a, a natural disaster. So since I've started doing this, there hasn't really been any lulls in the disaster recovery work. So I, I, I wanted to ask you about that because, you know, lawyers, you talked about COVID and how, you know, that's kind of a natural disaster. And so, you know, as lawyers, we love definitions. 
right? It's like, what precisely do you mean? And what is the definition of is? So let's talk about the definition of disaster. Is there a definition? How do you know what a disaster is? I would not say that there's really a definition. Honestly, COVID has really helped me kind of streamline what I think of as disaster recovery work because it really highlighted what disaster attorneys do. And in my opinion, what really makes a disaster attorney is someone who has to adapt quickly to the ways the laws change because of an unexpected event. So Hurricane Harvey hits and there's new FEMA assistance and, you know, the governor may suspend certain rules or landlords. There's certain rules in the code that apply to landlords and um, apartment complexes only when a disaster is hit. And so you have to know those rules and know the different ways that the law may affect certain clients. And so COVID has a similar thing. I mean, the first month after the shutdown, after we really started quarantining. Like we quarantined in March. We quarantined in March. So you're talking like April at this point, right? Right, right. So like early April, even like probably the whole of April. It just it was kind of an anything goes. I don't know if other lawyers experienced that or that was exclusive to the legal aid world. But it was kind of like all, you know, Abbott was handing down orders and it was kind of like, is this legal? Is this what is happening? Executive orders were being signed. What are these allowed? And so the ability to adapt to those things and kind of go, we don't know what's coming next, something new maybe, is I think what makes being a disaster attorney. Now let's let's talk about this article that you've written for the September issue of the Texas Bar Journal, right? So sure. you're talking about disaster preparedness. What what compelled you to wake up one morning and say, let's write an article and let's tell people how to how to prep for this? I mean, is this something you've always wanted to do or or what kind of what was what was the motivating force there? Well, as so first of all, I preach disaster preparedness to my clients all the time. So it's hard to tell your clients, make sure your house is in order for a disaster and then not apply the same logic to a law firm. If your clients should be prepared, so should law firms. That's that's kind of why I don't let my daughter into my office because it's a mess. And yet I tell her to keep her room clean. Exactly. It's hard to tell clients, make sure you have pictures of all of your stuff so you can make insurance claims and then not do that yourself. So um, <laughs> that's part of it. And then the other part is really as you do disaster work, you see what happens when you don't prepare. You see clients who have not prepared and clients who have prepared and how much better, how much faster and easier your recovery is if you were ready. Now, when you're, when you're talking about clients, these are your, these are your clients through, through legal aid? Yes, my, okay. my legal aid clients that I do FEMA appeals for. I represent clients for title clearing so that they can get assistance to rebuild their homes. I've done a little bit of landlord-tenant law where I've represented clients who were being treated unfairly by landlords post-disaster. So that's kind of the general work I do. Well, so I can, I can see some people saying, well, you know, I'm not indigent. You know, I've got good insurance, so on and so forth. I mean, do these same principles apply to them? Or is there is there is there really kind of an income divide when it comes to disaster preparedness and disaster relief? So yes and no. There is an income divide in recovery. People who are low income don't recover at the same hmm. with the same ease that people who are uh, who have more resources do recover for a lot of reasons that we could hmm. do multiple episodes about. Sure. But we won't go into all of that. But there's not a divide in the preparedness. One thing I think that might highlight this is, you know, we have income restrictions for the clients we serve because we mm. are a free service. And so we can only accept people who are meet a standard of, of low income. 
But after Harvey and after other natural disasters, the income changes because people lose their jobs or their savings. And so we, we take that into account. Normally we do like a yearly average, but there is a, oh, you did, you were, you did make too much money to qualify for our services, but you don't anymore. And right. so now you are eligible for our services. And so I think disasters can make people who were doing fine, not be doing so fine. So yes and no. And also everybody should be prepared because you can have great insurance, but if you can't prove your claim, you can't make your claim, you're going to be in the same boat as some of our low-income clients because you're still not going to get your money. Mm. Let's talk about law firms and lawyers for a moment because that's that's really who you were focusing your article about, right. obviously, because it's the Texas Bar Journal, right? So right. Your, your, your readership would primarily be people in the legal field. Now, you employ your readers to have a written disaster plan to write it all out. Now, what should the plan include? Or, or to put it in legal speak, what are the elements <laughs> of a good <laughs> disaster plan? So there's a lot of resources out there for what specific things to include. The state the state bar does have resources, and so does the American bar, for the specific things to include. I would say making sure that it is written is the probably the most important step because mm-hmm. a lot of times attorneys will say, well, I have a plan. It's all up here. And, and attorneys, it's all in my head. And attorneys are are we're usually smart individuals. And so they think I've got this handled. Then they don't write it down. And then something happens to them or the secretary at the front desk doesn't know what the plan is. And so she can't respond. Um, and then that, that leads you to some issues. So that's the first thing is I would say make sure it's written. And then I would say the next thing is to just make sure Make sure you have a plan for continuing operations when something interrupts it. That is really the defining thing for a disaster plan. And that is going to look very different depending on your firm, a solo practitioner, or a small firm with only two or three attorneys. It's going to be a really different plan because you don't have maybe the same staff to Hmm. take stuff. You probably also don't have the same number of cases that you need to be watching out for. So make sure you adapt your plan to your practice, make sure you write it down, and make sure you evaluate it often. So that's what I would say my top tips kind of for making a disaster plan. Interesting. Now, and and I actually wanted to ask you about solos and small firms, and you're saying they need to have a written plan as well. Yes. You said there'll be differences. So, you know, you you, you talked about everything just kind of being up in in the attorney's head. Let's say it's a solo firm, and they say, well, it's all up in my head, or it's in my laptop, and I've got everything I need in my laptop, and I can work from home, right? Right. What's the flaw in that? If, if, if you just say, you know, I'm a solo practitioner and I've got one assistant and everything's on my laptop and as long as my laptop is with me, I'm fine. So maybe part of your plan that, that your laptop is the, the thing that needs to be protected. I would say you could leave your laptop on your desk to go to lunch and have a pipe burst and your laptop's gone. Mm. So that's one flaw. And, and one, one thing about disaster preparing, we call it an all-hazards approach. You want to make sure you're prepared for everything. So your disaster that you're prepared for may not be a Hurricane Harvey-level event or a COVID-level event. It may be a burst water pipe. And what do you do mm. when your client files are destroyed because the upstairs neighbors had plumbing issues? You, you need to have a plan for that. So the other thing is, if you do have a Hurricane Harvey-level event, you're probably not going to be thinking very clearly. People, you know, you get panicky after a disaster. There can be some trauma associated um, with that disaster. I think probably many of us understand that in light of COVID, that there is some trauma that we are experiencing because of what's happening. Sure. So 
having it written down and so you can have something to refer to is helpful. And what if your assistant leaves? And your assistant knew the plan, but now you got a new assistant and you never told her what the plan was and she didn't do her job and now water got into your building or something like that. So that's mm-hmm. why we would recommend writing it down. So when you're saying disaster, you don't just mean a national like life-threatening level disaster. It's, I guess, like you said, it's anything that interrupts your ability to continue serving your clients and doing your work. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And so I guess it's, that that could even be, going back to my earlier example, you left your laptop in the car. Yeah. And it got when stolen. When you went to lunch. It got stolen or it overheated. Exactly. Because you don't have tinted windows, whatever. Or there's and, a fire in your building or something like that. You may have a plan that has different steps. You know, you may have a plan that has, this is what we do if a Hurricane Harvey level event happens. And this is what we do because they may be different things. You may have one Hmm. response for one type of disaster and another response for a different type. So yeah, we would recommend even the the smaller, if you want to call them that, disasters that are more localized, maybe just impact you. I would try to put something that might address that into your plan. When when you talk about a a plan for disasters, obviously there's different types of disasters. Now with something like COVID, right? You know, do you think do you think that it was possible, or have you seen people that had a written disaster plan that would have encompassed something like this? I mean, this was, you know, it, it COVID is it's it, it's kind of hard to describe. I mean, I don't know how future generations are going to describe this disaster. I mean, yes, it's a pandemic, but on the other hand, it's lasting for a long time. It's it's just changing the way people do business. You know, is this the type of disaster that you think somebody could have planned for? So it's interesting that you mentioned that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about my boss for a second because her name should come up because she's um, an expert in this. So my boss, Tracy Figueroa, actually did have a plan for a pandemic for, T- for Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid. And she's, she's been doing this work for a lot longer than I have, and she's trained me on this. And, and so she had, a few years ago, gone to a number of trainings on pandemics. Now, the th- yeah, what compelled her to do that? I mean, because th- th- that wasn't in our, I mean, yes, there was SARS, I think, and there was bird flu, but there wasn't anything like this. So what, you know, what got in her head about pandemics? That's kind of interesting. I'm not really sure. I don't know if there was, because I, I would have been probably, I don't even think I was in law school at the time. I know there was an article a while ago saying at one point, George Bush got super invested in, in pandemics. Mm. And, and maybe that carried over. I'm not really sure why she did. I don't know that I've ever asked her that. I I think the executive director of our organization at the time Mm. was very invested in it too. But yes, she went to a number of of trainings that talked about it. I will say, I think there were provisions. She had plans. And so when it it, it appeared that this was going to become serious in in early, mid-March, really, we started talking about what we were going to do. And and we handled, you know, shutting down and working from home, I think, better than some other law firms and legal aids mm-hmm. that I've heard from. But we didn't think it was going to be this. So so I agree that it's you can't plan for everything because you don't know. And my boss, she makes the jokes about preparing for alien invasions because <laughs> it, right now you're like, oh, that'll never happen. But we really I mean, back in February, we were saying we weren't going to be here and here we are. So I, I think you're right that you can't plan for it. But um, but yeah, there were people who who had an idea that something like this might happen and had a, a vague idea of a plan. It's, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. Even one of the local grocery stores here, you know, where I live up in the Dallas Fort Worth area, they, they had a disaster plan for pandemics. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting because then when the lockdown happened, 
they were one of the only grocery stores that was not out of produce and flour and everything else. They had, they had stuff stockpiled and they knew what to do. Right. And they just executed on their plan. And so I'm trying to think about how, as a, as a lawyer, you know, if I'm, if I'm running a law office, how do I envision that? Now, are there, are there experts out there? So let's, let's say you've got the resources to hire somebody to help you with disaster preparedness. Are there people you can hire to do this for you? You know, I'm not really sure. I know, I'm not, I'm not sure there are because, so I know that Tracy Figueroa did help. She she wrote Trala's disaster plan. She wrote our law firm's disaster plan. But she also um, helped the Corpus Christi Bar Association right there. So I know she's done a number of disaster plans. But I don't know, because she is an expert, we've never really looked at, at hiring outside help to do it. There might be. And there are resources, um, like I mentioned, the American Bar Association and the State Bar of Texas do have some resources for helping people put together their own plans. But I'm not sure if you could hire somebody else. So, you know, your, your article, right now we've been focusing on, on protecting your data, protecting, protecting your client files. Let's talk about protecting the person and the people around you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what, what, steps, what steps did your organization take? What steps have you seen others take successfully to try to protect the people, you know, alongside, alongside the client files? How do they protect themselves in these types of disasters. Right. You mean like COVID or in natural disasters? You know, really anyone, because, you know, the, the things like hurricanes and tornadoes, tornadoes are a little bit harder to, mm-hmm. to predict, yes. but hurricanes, you can kind of see them coming. But, you know, with a tornado, maybe you have, maybe you have an hour mm-hmm. to kind of get prepared. COVID, I mean, that, I don't think anybody saw it becoming what it is now. So, what what recommendations would you give or what's the mindset you should take when it comes to trying to protect the people around you? I think the best thing I could say um, is communication. And I've seen that in the ways that it failed with other law firms who may still not know exactly what their office or their firm's plan is for COVID. I think communicate with your staff early about what your plan is. So part of your disaster plan should probably be if a hurricane, and we'll, I'll use that as an example because you do have a lot of warning with a hurricane and with others, you, you don't have as much warning. If a, if a Category 3 hurricane is coming, we will shut our offices down, you know, 36 hours before it is anticipated to make landfall. You know, a, a clear this is what we will do so that staff mm. knows I'm not expected to stay here. And another way that that's beneficial for law firms is that staff are more likely to complete the tasks at the office that they're supposed to do, you know, t- unplugging their their computers, putting everything up higher, right. putting their client files and whatever it is your law firm does up on a desk in some kind of waterproof container, whatever it is you, you, you come mm-hmm. up with, sandbagging the door. They're more likely to complete those tasks if they know they get to go home and they don't have to come back to work and they can then get their own house in order. So I would do that. And then for the shorter term things, tornadoes, um, I would say shootings might be a concern for a law firm. Shootings like like guns, like guns. We we have a plan for what we do for active shooters. We also I should mention we uh, Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid has an office in El Paso. We did respond to the. El Paso mass shooting last year. That is another right. type of disaster. So have a written plan on that too that everybody knows about. So so tell us about that. I mean, how did you how did you respond to the 
active shooter. I guess you're right. That's a disaster, but it didn't occur to me as we were talking. About right. This. That's it, it doesn't occur to most people. Yeah. So we went and we kind of, they had some resource centers set up to help people out and we staffed those and we talked to people about their legal rights. We had a lot of issues with employment. There were some employment law issues that popped up because of it. And then one thing that comes up and I would say this is another pretty unifying thing for disasters, is assistance that is available to people impacted by it. And a lot of times it has different rules that confuse people. And so making sure that that these clients who are very traumatized, particularly after mm-hmm. um, a mass shooting, understand whether or not they are eligible for a certain type of aid. So we helped with that. And then we also, our branch manager in El Paso actually kind of helped with, there was a big pot of money that went to survivors and the family members of those um, that were, that passed away. And um, he helped kind of figure out how that money should be distributed. So we were pretty involved and we did some trainings with the local bar association in El Paso. That is something that we would consider to be a disaster. Now that comes without any warning at all, right? I mean, yes, they, they look back after and they say, oh, well, we saw, we saw the shooter's Facebook postings and it looked like this person was a nut job. But you know, more often than not, you don't know where they're going to strike or when they're going to strike. So, you know, it, it sounds like it sounds like it sounds like you guys were really helping people in the aftermath of the of the shooting. You know, have you have you put any plans in place for if you have an active shooter in your building or in your vicinity? I can't speak for all of Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid on that issue because that is a a less centralized disaster. Like, but I know, so our particular office in Corpus Christi does have a plan for where we're supposed to, who we're supposed to call and what we're supposed to do. And we have like, uh, where you like call the police. It's like a little emergency button that you, oh, okay. yeah, sure. like a panic button. It's like an alarm. Yeah. We have yeah, like, there you we go. have like okay. panic buttons throughout the office. So yeah, we have a plan that we go over. Well, we haven't gone over it for a while now, but we, we were going over it like twice a year pre going home and what to do. And our office, because we also have some family law attorneys who represent a lot of domestic violence victims. And so we would get, our office would get actual threats every once in a while. So it, it became more critical for us to actually have plans and run-throughs because probably once or twice a year we get somebody threatening us. So you got to be cautious of that. And that plan is is pretty much solely focused on staff safety rather sure, than there's not a lot of I haven't seen much focus on client documents at that point but um, at that point yeah, yeah you're not gonna you're not gonna walk out with a file cabinet <laughs> probably not <laughs> unless it's shielding you but <laughs> tell us a little bit about Texas Rio Grande legal aid you know you, you said that in your Corpus Christi office but so it sounds like you've got multiple offices yes you know how many offices how much staff you know because obviously if you're if you're if Tracy Figueroa is managing multiple offices with multiple staff, your disaster plan has got to be pretty robust. Yes. So we have offices in we have an office in Austin, San Antonio, El Paso. We have offices in the Valley, Laredo, Corpus, Victoria. So we have a number of offices. Wow. There's okay. and there's a lot in the Valley. We started kind of as a as a Valley organization and then kind of grew. Sure. And so we actually have two offices in Corpus Christi. And so Tracy, the way Trala is broken up. We represent low-income individuals in almost every civil legal matter that you can think of. We have, like, teams focused on a particular issue. So Tracy manages not particular offices, but particular attorneys. So I'm not actually in her office, but she manages our disaster our disaster group. And so she manages, we gotcha. have an attorney in the Valley. We have an attorney, we have 
three attorneys in Corpus and we have an attorney in um, Victoria as well. So that's that's how it really works. So there's a, a family law team and then there's a torts team and there's other teams that do a specific thing. But our, our disaster plan is pretty robust. And that is one thing when you have when you have offices all across the state, you can really rely on other offices there's some to redundancy cover you. there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And so you can, if something were to happen to part of our plan is if were something were to happen to a Corpus Christi office or a Valley office, then we can make space in our San Antonio office and vice versa. If a tornado comes through San Antonio, unlikely but possible, then attorneys there may be right. able to work out of other offices. So, yeah, it, it's pretty robust and it gets reevaluated every year. And we've had it in place for at least more than a decade. I'm not exactly sure when she first wrote it, but for a long time. In your article for the TVJ, you actually recommend, you know, speaking of speaking of, of representing the indigent and pro bono work, you recommend that attorneys do pro bono work. But interestingly, you you recommend that as part of disaster preparedness. And yes, and yes I, I see that pro bono work is important, but linking that to disaster prep, I'd never made that connection. Can you can you explain a little bit about why you thought that that is part of disaster prep? Absolutely. So I would say the biggest way pro bono attorneys could really help pre-disaster, in my opinion, is to do title clearing. Because the thing is, we see over and over and over again, and this is what, this is what we're currently doing, because we're in a long-term recovery phase for Hurricane Harvey. And what we're seeing is, in order to get your house rebuilt, you usually have to completely, you have to have clear title to that home. And sure. a lot of low-income individuals live in homes that belong to grandma and there are now 19 Uh, owners and nobody's cleared that title and so the house is in really bad shape and because it was an old house it was probably destroyed but they can't get help because they don't own their house and the issue is that Mm. the legal aid side we get inundated by these fema appeals immediately after disaster and so we don't really have time to do any title clearing because those are more time-consuming cases. And what you get is pro bono attorneys who have the best intentions and really want to do those FEMA appeals. Um, and that's helpful, too. But that requires mm-hmm. a lot of training on our part to train them on how to do them. And it, you have people who are already experts in title clearing. And if you could take some of those cases that might take a year or more and get title sure. cleared by the time the big money comes down to do a rebuild, that client might be in line to be able to get that. So that, to me, and then just having pre-disaster, just clear title for low-income people who can't afford to pay the 20 grand it might take to clear a really complicated title clearing case, just take one and spend a little bit of time on it over a two-year period and see if you can get something mm-hmm. done. And that might really change that person's life. Okay. So when you're saying disaster prep, it's really, it's th- this isn't so much about your own firm. This is about helping others and kind of doing our job as attorneys to try to help push the ball forward when it comes to access to justice. Yeah, for sure. On the pro bono side, I would say that. I I also would say you just need to be prepared yourself. But I think part of disaster preparing is disaster preparing your community to make it more resilient. Mm. And pro bono attorneys could absolutely do a lot of good working on that, those issues. Before we close out, I wanted to ask you about, about your career. We talked about this, you know, early on to some extent, but when you were in law school, did you always think you were going to go and become a legal aid attorney or like, is that something you always wanted to do? Or was this something you kind of got into after? And so that way for the law students out there, they can kind of explore whether this might be a career path for them. 
Yeah, so I always wanted to do legal aid. I wanted to, I, I think I would probably, well, so I grew up without any attorneys being around. I didn't know anything about their Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> That's I a know. good childhood. It is. That's a happy childhood it right is. there. It is. <laughs> I, um, I didn't know I didn't know any attorneys. There were no attorneys in my family, so I was kind of didn't know what I was doing. I actually I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> true, yeah, that's, that's true to a certain extent. Chronic. But I I actually wanted to work for the ACLU, like many idealistic young attorneys or uh, law students. I that that was my goal, and then I kind of got into the legal field and realized that there's you know direct client representation, and then there's like sure. impact litigation, and impact litigation is very important, and I would never downplay that. It's just not for me. I, my personality is not it, the the amount of time you spend on those cases to potentially lose just. Devast- I could not do it. So um, mm. I, I prefer the client interaction. And so I think Legal Aid has a lot of client interaction. If that sure. is, if that's what you're after and you're not so much on that impact litigation. So we do you impact. better like people. <laughs> you do. You do. And we do impact litigation too. Legal Aids across the country do it as well. So that you, if you want to do a little bit of that, 5% of that or 10% of that, but mostly you want to figure out what your impact litigation is going to be through your direct representation of clients, Legal Aid is probably a, a a good a good path. So I did I did always want to do public interest, but law school really turned it into legal aid rather than some ACLU type job. Got it. Got it. Well, I mean, heck, I've I've learned something from this. But Hannah, unfortunately we are out of time and I know you need to go change into your superhero clothes and go save some more lives. And and by the way, you know, I have, I have this question. Maybe maybe you guys out there can help me. Do superheroes ever wash their outfits? I never see them do it, but if so, when? I mean, what if disaster strikes and see what I did there? Right in the middle of a spin cycle. What do you do? Think about that one, Superman, Bruce Wayne. Anyway, as you ponder that one, Hannah, I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge with us. This was this was fantastic. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And of course, I want to thank you for tuning in and encourage you to stay safe and make sure you follow all applicable orders for dealing with COVID-19. And please advise your clients and loved ones to do the same. And maybe this is a good time for you to think about some pro bono work. Maybe we've inspired you. This situation with COVID-19 is changing fluidly and quickly. So please seek out legal counsel if you have a question. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, remember... Life's a journey, folks. I'm Rocky Deer, signing off. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Go to TexasBar.com slash podcasts. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find both the State Bar of Texas and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, the State Bar of Texas, Legal Talk Network, or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.